Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. And I'm so thankful. Yesterday we had our first week of our basketball league. I think it's the biggest group we've ever had in the elementary. We had to add two teams, and we had a great day. And uh, praise the Lord for an opportunity to minister to these young people. This is the time of year that a lot of college students come home, as was mentioned, uh, they come home uh, for the Christmas vacation. And sometimes a college professor comes home, too. And... Uh, is sort of coming home because I think I think if I'm not mistaken, 20 years ago this month uh, he was married right here, married a young lady from our church, and uh, then he was uh, the uh, youth pastor for nine or ten years over in Port Orchard, Washington. So he's part of our region and our ministries together in our churches. He was called back to uh, the Grand Rapids area to pastor the Grace Bible Fellowship in Jenison, Michigan for about seven years, and these past four years, he has been at the college as he's now the professor of Bible and theology at Grace Bible College. And beginning next year, he will be assuming the responsibility as well of the pastoral ministry program. He told me he wasn't sure that was public knowledge yet, but his wife said it was. So, I don't know, that's your problem now. Anyway, Pat, come on up. Now, just so any of our young people or children, youth here and children, they're going to go into the ministry, going to go to Grace Bible College. Uh, he'll be a big part of your life. So we're glad to have Pat with us this morning. He's going to bring God's word to us, and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we lift up this time. We thank you that uh, Pat could be with us today. We pray uh, for the ministry of Grace Bible College, for the many young people whose lives are being impacted, and, uh, and as they uh, go out into the entire world in our country and serve you. And so we uh, ask now you'll bless him as he opens your word. May our hearts be open and sensitive to your words this morning. In Christ our Savior's name, all God's people can say together, Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. All right, greetings from Grand Rapids. Uh, Every morning I get up and I check my iPhone weather app. The nice thing about Grand Rapids is you only need one hand to tell the temperature. Next week, I'm going to Traverse City. If any of you are familiar with the Michigan area, Traverse City is what people in Michigan call up north, or one of the places. You can go even higher if you want to. And uh, I just texted the young lady that I'm performing the wedding for, and they're getting doused with snow every day. And I said, everything okay up there? And she said, yep, just drive carefully. Bring your warm clothes. So I'm excited for that. I also give uh, greetings from Grace Bible Fellowship, where Pastor Caleb Beefus is the senior pastor there, and you, many of you probably remember him. Uh, he sends his greetings as well. Excited to work with him uh, still as an associate pastor at Grace Bible Fellowship. And then, of course, from Grace Bible College, I also send greetings. I know President Kemper said he was here not too long ago with the basketball team, and uh, so I said I'd just send my greetings as well. It is true that um, from the Seattle area, when we get... Uh, Students from uh, Berean Bible Church here, so many times they are, you know, the best of the best. I'm not going to name names, uh, but they are the best of the best, and I really do appreciate them. Uh, the knowledge they already have, but also the desire to know God's Word and to grow in God's Word, uh, and it's exciting to see. And yes, uh, my wife, we did just celebrate our 20th anniversary, and it was, I didn't really think about that, that yeah, we were just standing here almost 20 years ago. That's exciting. Tears coming down. Okay. Uh, If you'd open your Bible to Genesis chapter 6, and as you do that, about a month ago, a little more than a month ago, I was in a a van with uh, Pastor Shemaria, the younger Jim Shemaria, 
And we were driving from Boston to Providence, Rhode Island for a Bible theology conference called ETS. And we kept seeing signs for, uh, for Plymouth and Plymouth Rock and, and some of the things about the pilgrims. So Jimmy has his cell phone out and he pulls up the most reliable source you can find, Wikipedia, and tries to read all the statistics and the data about the pilgrims. And I remembered just uh, reading him going through that and reading some of the interesting um, facts about the pilgrims. And this morning we're talking about new beginnings. And I thought, what a good um, relation or parallel of a group of people who, who wanted a new beginning. Uh, people who were under great persecution uh, from the, the conflict between the Catholic and the Anglican Church in England and the persecution back and forth, but also for anybody who wanted to do something different, which the, the pilgrims often wanted to be a little bit different. And so there was great persecution, sometimes death, but other things as well. And so they wanted to escape uh, and get a new beginning. And so I read about the uh, the, the voyage on the Mayflower across, and I, I'm sure some of you have been on a cruise before, and I tried to relate that to a cruise. Uh, Two-month cruise across the Atlantic in a, in a space... 25 by 50 feet was their was their housing quarters for 65 of them, uh, and these I'm sure bunk beds and, and the the live animals were also living in the area as well. It was also where they sto- stored their giant cannons and all kinds of stuff like that. Two month voyage across the sea, and when they get there, they they land in Cape Cod. It's almost uh, 400 years ago, 1620, 1621. They get there and it's too cold. And so they have to stay on the boat for another four months. They don't actually disembark until March. And by then, they've lost dozens of the crew and the pilgrims to all kinds of diseases and sickness. And can you, can you imagine being on that little boat with that hundred plus people just crammed in there with everybody sick and all this stuff's going? But it's all because you wanted a new beginning. You wanted to start over. And sometimes doing that, doing a new beginning, it hurts. It's hard. Right. Changing is not easy. That's why we call it change. And so once they finally got um, to to the shore and they started to build their uh, their colony or or their city, their their village, and they dealt with the American Indians there. And and there's a lot of stories and I'm not going to get into the, the the disagreements or whatever. But that's where we get our concept of Thanksgiving from. And they actually got this new beginning and this this idea of the pilgrims and a lot of American history from that. And it's just a great story of of a new beginning. And this morning, and of course being the 31st, thinking about the, the thing that we all do on the 31st and the 1st is making new resolutions. And we all want a new start. And I had my daughter on her iPhone look up what are the, the most um, popular uh, resolutions. And uh, I think uh, Mr. Royal read them at the devotion yesterday. And uh, what is it always? It's always diet, health. Those are mostly what it is. I want to lose weight. I want to get stronger. I want to eat better. Uh, some of the other ones she read were, I want to travel more. I want to spend more time with my family. Um, I want to learn a new skill. These were just some of the top things that people uh, resolve to do for the new year. And my question this morning, and I've got a little book. I've, I'm kind of trying to do that myself. i got a little journal, and I'm writing down things. But I find myself writing all the, the tangible things, the physical things, right? How many push-ups can I do this year? How much weight can I lose this year? It's all things that I can just put a number down. And I started thinking to myself, okay, well, I've got physical resolutions. I've got intellectual, like trying to learn things, resolutions. But what about spiritual resolutions? How often do I really think about what am I going to do this year for God, for my growth, 
my relationship with him, my spiritual maturity. How often do we consider that? Now, I, I agree. Gary said it earlier, and it just kind of popped in my head when he said it. Tomorrow's no different than today. I mean, it's just a day. It's not like we're jumping over a cliff or going across the Atlantic on the Mayflower tomorrow. But it's a time that we can do something like that. We can reflect on the past and look forward to the future. And it kind of makes us do that because it's the new year. And this morning, as we go through the Noah story, and we're not going to go in detail. Most of you probably know the story of Noah, but I want to look at the new beginning that God does, but also that Noah is forced to do because of God's change, God's new beginning that he's starting there. And I want you to consider that as well. Uh, what am I going to do? Not just this year. And we know resolutions almost always fail. I don't know what the stats are, but within the first couple of weeks, I'm sure, if not by the first month, most of them are gone. But what am I going to do this year, the rest of my life, what tangible steps am I going to make to grow closer to God, to build my relationship with Him, to use the gifts that He's given to me? And that's what I want you to consider this morning as we walk through the story of Noah. And if you're in uh, Genesis chapter 6, and you look at verse 5 of Genesis chapter 6, you see kind of the reason why we need resolutions. Right? I mean, why do you want to, why would you ever do a resolution to lose weight unless you haven't, unless you've already gained weight, right? You've gained a little weight and all of a sudden you're like, oh man, I need to lose a little weight. And so I'm going to make this resolution. So what's happened on the world, in the world that new beginnings need to happen here? Look at verse five. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Now, I want you just to think about that verse for a second. How bad was it? It's not a punchline. How bad was it? Look at it again. How great man's wickedness on the earth had become. You know, the word that's repeated there for evil and wickedness is just the word in the Old Testament for evil. It's just that, that word for evil. But he adds that, how great man's evil has become. So it's not just the ordinary evil. It is accelerated. It has grown. He doesn't give the details. I'm glad for that. He doesn't give the details of what man was doing, but it has gotten really, really bad. How great it has had. And then he continues in the second part that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was evil. And the idea of the heart being the kind of the motivational, the will, the desire to do things, and this is saying that every desire is now evil. Everything they choose is evil. Every part of their will is now evil. And then finally, the last part, it says, all the time. And maybe you have a, a version that says, continually. And it just keeps compounding. So it's not just great evil, and it's not just coming out of them, it's not just their motivation, but it is always happening, continual, continual evil over and over again. In the New Testament, they use this word that says to walk around in either goodness or evil, and it means uh, to live in it. And so here I'm thinking that the people were living in evil. They were accepting it. It was done. It was, it was over. We're bad. So what? Deal with it. This is what we are. Maybe you've heard people talk like that today and they say, oh, whatever, you just have to deal with it. Times are changing. And they've just accepted this evil that they've been in. 
Boy, this picture of Genesis 6-5 does not paint a pretty picture on the world. And as God sees this evil, and if you read these verses, you follow the verses and that we've looked at already, it says that, that, um, that God has decided to start over, to change. Now, this is a bad time. And if you want to think about how bad it is, you can look at Romans chapter 2. We're not going to look at that immediately right now, but in Romans chapter 2, it talks about how man uses his own mind to make his decisions. He's up to his conscience. The law hasn't been created yet in Genesis chapter 6. He doesn't have like a, a standard of rules to go back to and say, how should I live? How should I behave? Instead, he's just living by his own conscience. And when man lives by his own conscience, guess what he does? He does pretty evil. Even in today's world, if you're a, a movie or an entertainment buff and you like books and all the things that's coming out, there's a lot of books on dystopia societies or apocalyptic societies where the world has gone, you know, in a haywire. I mean, alien invasion, zombie apocalypse, whatever you think of to put in the blank there. But if you look at the way they describe man, how bad is it? Mankind, when left to himself, without a set of rules, without God guiding them and directing them, they're pretty evil, and I believe mankind knows it. When they write the stories and they make the movies, they describe man as evil. We are inherently that way. And that's how bad man had gotten at this point. And if you wanted to go back in the text, uh, go back to Genesis uh, a couple verses before, and you see Cain killing Abel, and you see uh, some of the other characters, uh, Lamech and uh, Lamech in Genesis chapter 4, or even earlier in Genesis chapter 6, you see these creatures or people called the Nephilim. Whatever it is, there's a description of here of how bad things have gotten. And so God is going to change. It's a new year's. It's a new beginning. And God is going to do that. We're not going to get to Noah quite yet, but I want to relate that to today. How bad is it today? We, of course, have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We're not under the law so that we don't have the law to go back to and guide us. But we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have church. We have community, the body of Christ guiding and directing us. Apart from that, how bad is it? When man is out there on their own, living on their own, making their own laws and their own decision, how bad is it? And I would argue, I don't. Um, I go back and forth when I think about this. Is it worse today than it was in Noah's day? Okay, sometimes I ask that question. I've talked to other people and, and they have for sure answers. They say, no, it must have been worse in Noah's day because of what God did. And other people say, nope, it's getting worse and worse and worse until the end. It's going to get the worst at, the, at possible. I don't really want to debate about that. But all I can say is it's really bad out there. There are a lot of bad things. If you open the newspaper... Uh, if you if you read the, the Internet, whatever your news source is, it's hard not to hear about some kind of terrorism, some kind of act of hatred, some kind of racism, some kind of of, of murders or other bad things that are happening. Uh, it, it's it's almost like when the news is on and my kids are in the room, I have to kind of say, OK, what's the next news story going to be? Because I might not want them to see what the next news story is. That's how bad it is. And so it's gotten really bad here as well. And you can think throughout time, obviously, with wars that go on and other things also. I think maybe one of the hardest things is for us to acknowledge that it is evil today. That there is evil and there is bad and there is sin in the world. Instead, we kind of code it. You know, you might think of putting some, some sugar over it or some candy over it. And we say, well, that's just, you know, that's just the way people live today or something. And we try to code it. Instead of acknowledging 
that there is sin in the world, that there is evil in the world. And God doesn't call us to that. He calls us to righteousness. And finally, the last part of that I want you to think about is your own personal life. Now, this might get a little bit more personal, intimate with yourself. Think about your own life. Are there sins? Are there evils? Are there things in your life that you need to take out? Things that you've sugarcoated and said, oh, it's okay. Things that you've been living in for a long time and you've just kind of let it happen. The New Testament, they talk a lot about remaining in Christ, not remaining in sin, not living in sin, but instead living in God and in Christ and in righteousness. Are there things in your life that you need to resolve to say, I need a new beginning. I need to cut these things out. Right? When you have something bad in your house or you have something bad in your body, you cut it off. I've had these skin, skin cancer spots and the doctor comes in and they do this surgery called Mohs surgery. If anybody's had that before and they cut out this, it's a lot of, it's a lot of stuff they cut out and they pull it all out. They say, we don't want that bad stuff in your life because it's going to spread and it's going to cause more sickness. And so are there those sins? Are there those things that we need to cut out of our life? Remember, I think it's important to understand that the Noah story, the story of the flood, really gives us this demonstration that God hates sin. He does not like sin at all. I remember when I was a kid, maybe some of you guys remember this, in Sunday school class we used the flannel graphs. Does anybody remember the, the flannel graphs? I say that to my students sometime and they just look at me like, what in the world are you talking about? I'd love to do a flannel graph presentation for them just so they, they get the idea. But I remember doing the Noah story and the flannel graph. And you, most of the time they focus on the animals. They focus on the boat and the rain and the flood. I don't remember. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe your flannel graph story had the people that were drowning in the water or the animals that were in the water. We forget that the flood was judgment upon the sin and the sinners in the world. And God was, he was fed up with it. He was tired of it. And he was doing a new start. And sometimes we need to do that as well. We need to say, that's it. I'm, I'm going to drown those sins in my life. I'm going to get rid of them completely so that I can have a new start, a fresh beginning in my life. Now, good news is the story of the flood doesn't, or the flannel graph board doesn't just talk about the bad things and the death and the sin and things like that. Because verse 9, if you go back into your Bible there in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, or verse uh, verse 8, sorry, very short verse, but just very poignant verse that tells us a lot. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. If you read those verses before and the verse we read in verse 5, it's all this evil, all this evil, all the time, all the inclinations of their heart continually. And you're like, oh my goodness, it's so bad. And then all of a sudden it just kind of has this refrain and goes, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I looked up that word favor there and I was, uh, this, the word was used for Ruth and, uh, and uh, Boaz and Ruth. Uh, that Ruth kept trying to find favor. She was hoping to find favor in someone's eyes. That someone would fall in love with her. That would give her a break. That would help her out. And we know the story of Ruth and Boaz. It has to do with that. Doing something. Having something that's appealing to you. That they say, man, you, I, I, I find favor. And so as I think about Noah here, I want to make sure I clarify that, that we're not talking about salvation here. We're not saying, what can I do here on earth that God will catch, I can catch God's eye. That he'll love me all of a sudden. What we're talking about here is that Noah was living a life 
obedient to God. And so God is looking out there and seeing all this evil, and then he sees this, this light, um, this, this glimmer in the darkness and says, what's that? Someone is doing what I've asked them to do. That verse is very short, and he doesn't go into detail about what Noah did to find favor in his eyes, but we can kind of guess from all the other things that happen in the story. First and foremost is this. Noah's not perfect. If we flip over a couple pages to Genesis chapter 9 after the flood story, most of you have heard this story that Noah has a problem with alcohol. He gets drunk and he causes some family problems. Again, not to get into the details of that, but Noah makes mistakes. He is not without sin. So this doesn't mean the only way to find favor in God's eyes is you have to be perfect and without sin. No, that's not what he's asking. Do you remember the story? You remember the guy who is called the man after God's own heart, right? David, the one who who rapes Bathsheba, the one who kills Uriah the Hittite, the one who does these terrible things. And then the New Testament says, the man after God's own heart. You see, there's something different. I think Noah is not by all, by any means perfect. He is having a heart that God sees. He is being obedient to God. In Hebrews chapter 11, you know the faith chapter in chapter 11, it describes Noah when God tells him to construct the ark, he constructs the ark. It, it just says it really plain and simple like that. And it's his obedience to God that catches God's eyes, catches God's favor. And he sees Noah down there doing what he asked him to do. And then I would say the other really big thing is that Noah is not living in the world. He is not living the way the world lives. He is following God's. And so I think it's very obvious when, when the world is living so bad and one person is being even kind of good, and I don't think Noah's just being kind of good, but even kind of good, they would stick out. And I think that's what Noah's doing here. The world is so bad and here you have Noah and boom, he's like this bright light. Right? I think about as a, as a teacher when you have uh, students who are all, you know, they're talking in the back there. They always sit in the back, you know, and they're talking back there and you're going... Oh man, no one's listening. And then you look in the front row, and there's this student here in the front row, fervently taking down notes and, you know, asking questions and, and attentive and things like that. And you're like, boy, that student really sticks out in this crowd of students who aren't listening. And that's what Noah did. For God, he stuck out. He did the obedient thing. He did what God wanted him to do. And then finally, if you could just flip over a page, we're just kind of staying in this same ballpark, but in eight, Genesis 8, verse 20. You see, after the flood story, and again, most of the time we don't realize this that much, but after the flood, they get down, and Noah builds an altar and sacrifices animals. So it says there in verse 20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. And said in his heart, never again will I curse the earth. So as you think about that, again, I just want to remind you, maybe there's a little debate about, you know, how did Noah know to burn or sacrifice these animals? Uh, the law hasn't been written yet. What I see here is that, that Noah has reverence for God. I think that the idea of sacrificing to God has probably been passed down through the generations from even from Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel as they did sacrifices. And so Noah comes off the ark and the first thing he does is he takes some animals, by the way, probably not an abundant supply of animals at that time, 
And he takes the limited supply of animals he has and says, Lord, I trust in you. And I offer these as a sacrifice to you. It's like a first fruits offering. You give your first fruits, you give your best, and you say, God, I trust that you're going to supply. And so Noah has that reverence, that, that honor that he shows to God. And so again, I want to just encourage us, as we think about what this means for us, it means honoring God with our life. If I go back to the pilgrims again, and again, I, I, you know, you do a little reading on the pilgrims, and you'll find out that there's a big debate about people that don't like the pilgrims because of the way they treated the Native Americans and the people that do like them, and there's a, a pretty heavy debate there. And I don't want to get into the debate. What I want to say is this. The pilgrims were trying to do what God wanted. They were trying to live lives the way God wanted them to live. And so they were separating themselves from the evil of the world that they saw. What does that mean for us today? How does that look like for us today? When we work in places, you work in places where there is evil, where there is sin, where you travel and you go to places where there is evil and there is sin. How do you deal with that? What do you do? How do you show God reverence? How do you handle those type of temptations or sins that are around you. And as we think about that, that is what I believe Noah did. In the New Testament, when Jesus is telling the parable, he talks about the Lord calling his servant, good and faithful servant. I think this New Testament is a good parallel. He found favor in God's eyes. And so often we'll say something like, I wonder if God is looking down and and he looks down on you, his servant, and says, my good and faithful servant. And I might put that same parallel down and say, are you living your life in such a way that God would look down and say, man, I have found favor. He has found favor in my eyes or she has found favor in my eyes. Is she or he living in a way that is in accordance to the way I want them to? The Bible is full of these examples of people, men and women that are like this. If you want to think about these stories of people who uh, Enoch, for example, who walked with God and was no more. He doesn't tell us anything about what Enoch actually did to get that um, stature or that name or whatever. And Job, remember Satan comes and God is like, do you remember that story? Satan comes to God and God says, look at my servant Job. I mean, how would you like to be bragged about by God? After you remember the story of Job, you might say, not me. But that's what Job was living his life in such a way that God said, look at Job. Look at him. Is God saying that about you right now? He's saying, look at, look at this person. They are doing everything I want. Yeah, they make mistakes. Yeah, they all do. But look how they are dealing with them. Look at their heart. Remember that verse 6-5, Genesis 6-5? Try to reverse that to good. They're doing great good. Every inclination of their heart is good, and they are doing it all the time. Wouldn't that be awesome if that's what verse was said about you and me and the church, the body of Christ? And then if you go into that last uh, section here of the the Noah story, and it's in chapter 9, so we're already kind of scooted over there. So if you look at chapter 9, and look at verse 13. You know, a lot of you know the story. I encourage you, if you don't know the story very well, maybe to read chapter 6 through 9 there and get the whole picture of the story. But God gives us this thing. Look at this in verse 13. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. 
Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all the earth. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant. Now I think of this as kind of our comparison to resolutions and making decisions, uh, getting rid of the sins in our life, but but also continuing or adding the righteous things, the good things that God wants us to do. And one of the things I know people will often do when they make a resolution is they'll have some kind of some kind of sign, some kind of uh, of marker. Uh, maybe it's a, a necklace or jewelry that you can just kind of have. So you say, oh, yeah, this is my covenant. Maybe it's something on the wall. Maybe it's a journal or a book. It's something to remind you, hey, remember, I wanted to lose weight this year. Don't forget. Right. And the Bible's full of this in the law. Remember how he talks about in Deuteronomy that we're supposed to, you know, remember the scriptures, put it on our doorpost, say it in and out everywhere we go with our family, all that stuff. We're supposed to put that in front of us all the time so that we don't forget. So we don't kind of stray away and eventually go, oh yeah, wasn't there a book I was supposed to be reading or something? And so God gives us this ultimate sign called the rainbow. And to me, this is so powerful. Um, my dad is a, he, he's kind of an engineer and my brother is an engineer as well. And that's kind of the mind that, that I have as well. Very, scientific and I like to think about that kind of stuff. I teach a class called apologetics and we go through some of the the cosmological and teleological arguments. And I think this rainbow really is this idea that God is putting something that will never go away. It's there because of science. And guess who created that science? God created it. God created it. And he knows it's there. And he's put it out there for us to see. I remember when we were flying to that conference um, to Boston from Grand Rapids, we were flying there and uh, Dr. Lover, Matt Lover, was sitting next to me and he said, look out my window. We were over the clouds and you could see a rainbow in the clouds. And it was like just this amazing thing. And as a Christian, when you see that, you're like, man, remember God made this covenant with us, this marker. And Colossians, if you want to turn there and you can keep your finger, I don't know if we'll come back or not, but turn to Colossians chapter 1. This idea that, verse 16 and 17, when you think about this in creation, that God has created all these things, and he, he, he puts them in their place. And so the rainbow is not foreign. It's not like God's like, oh man, there's the rainbow. I think I'll make that my sign. It's all in God's mind. He knows it all. In verse 16 he says, for by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. So it's not just that he's the creator of all things, he's the sustainer of all things. He holds it together as well. He has created the earth such a perfect position and place and with all the right dials and, and gadgets so that it works perfectly. So many things we rely on that we don't even understand. God not only created them, he holds them in place. And he keeps them at exactly the right spectrum so that we have life here. That rainbow, when we see it, it is a marker not just of the flood, but that God is the creator and sustainer of the universe. And so when I make a New Year's resolution this year, when I think about 
God, what am I going to do to grow closer in my relationship with you? This is making a resolution to grow closer to the creator and sustainer of the universe. Boy, who, who better than to make a resolution to or for or with but the one who knows all things and has created all things? And as you make those decisions this year and you think about maybe your New Year's resolution, maybe you've already done this with your family or by yourself, and you think about the physical and the intellectual and maybe the social things that you want to do this year, I want you to add a column or a a page. Say, Lord, what can I do to grow closer to you this year? Lord, what can I do to, to walk hand in hand with you this year? What gifts do I have that I'm not using to the fullest potential for you? This year, what can I do to grow closer to you through reading the scripture and prayer and time alone with you and together with a community, a church like this, that I can do things to grow closer to you this year? And then maybe the hardest, but Lord, what things in my life do I need to cut out this year? What do I need to make a page and say, I'm not going to do this ever again. I'm going to mark it off and say, no, never again. I'm going to cross it out. And this is not going to be part of my life anymore. In what ways can I live for God so that I can be living so that when he looks down on the earth, he looks down and he says, man, there is my good and faithful servant. He's found favor in my eyes. Look at that person. Now, this is not about what can I do to to brag or to, uh, to be greater than the person in the pew next to me or across the way or anything like that. No, you're your individual self, and we're all given uniqueness, and we're all different. And so you look at yourself and say, God, what can I do? What can I do to help this community, the body of Christ, this world for you? And as you think about those things, I want to encourage you to to make, and I know this might be hard because maybe you're not as creative as God, but make a, a, a thing, a rainbow if you would, an item, a word, a verse, something that you put somewhere that's visible on your doorpost, on your refrigerator, on your bedstand that you see every day. And you say, God, oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm living my life differently. I'm living for you this year. I want to find favor in your eyes, Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for bringing us together today. And Lord, as we think about the new year and uh, just the resolutions that we always make, Lord, I pray. Um, that we would not forget about you in this new year. That, Lord, we would um, amplify our efforts to live for you, uh, to live different than the world, but loving the world so they can bring them closer to you. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Pat, for opening God's word this morning. And I hope that you take it to heart. And I look forward to walking with you and serving with you in 2018. You're not supposed to come to your father-in-law's church and let them out right on time. (laughs) Nice going, Pat. (laughs) Thanks a lot. (laughs) But, you know what? So that doesn't happen. Well, you just take a minute and wish somebody a blessed new year before I close and pray. Don't leave yet. Now turn around and wish somebody and meet somebody a blessed and wonderful new year. Okay, hallelujah. All right.
So John Aqua's got a new resolution for me, getting out on time. Thanks a lot, John. Okay. Pack him over again, word of prayer, closing prayer, and come out with me. And uh, thank you for, I know he's on vacation, but uh, appreciate his willingness to open God's word today. And uh, we look forward to a good, good semester at Grace Bible College. And as we continue, we have uh, some of our students there. And we have one in particular who's preparing for ministry. And uh, we look forward to uh, wonderful things that God's going to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for just the privilege of being here today. Uh, what a privilege, Lord. We have brothers and sisters around the world as they face 2018. We're going to be facing it with fear, with danger. Well, maybe not fear, but in danger. Because it's very dangerous to worship you sometimes in, in places in this world. But they do it courageously. And Lord, we have it so easy here in, in many ways. And we have we have so much freedom and we have so much available to us. Uh, Lord, might we be courageous. Might this year to come, may we step forward and live our lives as we've been admonished this morning, as the apostles did, to sacrifice all, to give all for you and for your work and for your ministry. We thank you for a place to come, a place to worship, a place to have basketball on Saturdays, a place to have youth group and children's ministries, to sing together, to worship together, and to serve together. But Lord, we live in a mission field, and we leave here now, and we go out the doors into our mission field, and may each of us be a bright light in our world for our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. We love you. We thank you that we can call you our Father, that the Holy Spirit dwells within, and that Christ is our Lord. Dismiss us now with your blessing. We look forward to the year ahead. In Christ our Savior's name we pray together. Amen.